cool. Thanks, everybody, for uh, coming and not making me feel so bad about myself. So. Um, so it's always strange, like it's called a workshop, and then everybody comes and sits in rows and faces a speaker, and it feels kind of like, wait, weren't we just doing this? <laughs> so um, I guess at the very least, just interrupt if I'm droning on and you want to say something much more meaningful. Um, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question, and I'll give you a second to think about it. So I just want to know why you came to this workshop, because <laughs> I wouldn't have. So... Um, <laughs> So I just want to take a second in a moment and just get some feedback as to why you're here and what you hope to kind of walk away with and see if <laughs> I have anything remotely uh, close to what you want. If not, we'll start over. Um, but my name is Ryan, and uh, I right now vocationally wear two hats. So I serve as a pastor of a church in Sanford, Maine. Uh, anybody know, ever been to Sanford, Maine by chance? Really? You saw it on a map. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. So um, Sanford's a town of about 26,000 people. It's an old mill town. And uh, we have, it's, it's, it's a very unique place, but it's not, I don't think of it as the big city. I grew up in the suburbs of Indianapolis, lived outside of Boston for about 10 years, and are, have been in Maine now for 10 years, and never in my life thought I would be in Maine. I, I didn't know there was a Maine. Um, I knew there was Kittery, which had some outlets in it. So we had been to Kittery. <laughs> when we lived in Massachusetts and we just always thought of Maine as Canada. We just, that's, you know, someplace you flew over on your way back from Europe, you know, that was kind of what it was. But so I, I serve as the pastor there and then I also serve as the president of an association organization called Vision New England. Anybody ever heard of Vision New England? A few of you? Sometimes I always ask the question, I say, anybody heard of Congress? And then, like, there's always, like, one person who goes, oh, yeah, Congress. I love Congress. Yeah, we're the Congress people. So you're, if you've been in New England for a long time, uh, meaning you're over the age of 20, you might know what Congress was. It used to be a large gathering that was held in downtown Boston. And now we have the GO Conference, which is kind of like it. But we're, Vision New England is an association of churches, individuals, pastors who are committed to growing the kingdom of God, specifically in New England. We've been around for 135 years. And so we're deeply committed to helping people learn to share their faith, grow in sharing their faith, getting churches to be more effective in being outward facing. So that's kind of who I am. I've got two kids, Judah and Micah. I love it when he said our churches need to be places that are magnets for people with autism because my son has autism. So I love that. I, I want to see that. I want to see churches reaching out to the community that have families with special needs because there is a shortage of churches that actually know how to handle and help with and work with families. And it's not because they don't want to. It's just it's an area that uh, people don't think about. And uh, it's not that they're bad. It's just how do you deal with that? So I loved it. So that's awesome. My daughter is 13. She's a danceaholic. Uh, you want a funny story about my daughter? So <laughs> my daughter does this dance program she does like hip-hop and ballet and modern and all stuff and so she gets an Instagram account for the first time and uh, she's all excited about Instagram she's turning 13 I'm not a big fan of it by the way but anyway so, so my daughter creates her Instagram account name and it's dancer for him <laughs> With a capital H, because she dances at a school that's out of a church in, our, in another town. <laughs> and I know that that's inappropriate. I probably shouldn't share that joke with you, but just highlights her innocence. But it was kind of funny. So I don't know how long she'll keep that handle. She might change it eventually. Can, I don't know if you can do that or not on Instagram. But. So why are you here? Um, maybe the better question is after that introduction, why are you staying? Why are you staying? No. Like when you saw this and you thought of it, um, and it's a fair answer to say, well, I came with a group of four people and I got stuck with this one, um, whatever. But is anybody brave enough to kind of share what they hope to kind of walk away with from these kind of 30 minutes, 45 minutes together? Anybody at all? Put you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, we're recording. Oh, okay. I'm not sure why. I think this is probably the max amount of people that are going to listen. Okay. But we're recording. All right. So, all right. I'll, I'll say that again. Even though I was using my, my preaching voice, 
Um, so my name is Andrew. I'm the uh, senior pastor at uh, Community of Grace in Framingham, Massachusetts, and uh, we are a replant. And um, and I think that um, you know we've sold our traditional our tradi- traditional property and moved into the the downtown center mm. and and really kind of eschewed a lot of the things of traditional. Um, kind of traditional concepts, if you will, of, of owning a property and et cetera, et cetera, uh, in order to better uh, connect to the community. And and I just see a lot of different ways that the church is sort of evolving in how it presents itself, mm. you know, and how it contextualizes. And um, and I'm dumb as a sack of hammers. And so um, I just want to learn as much as I can from every other person out there that's, that's doing awesome. ministry. Um, and so... That's great. Well, Andrew, I'm dumb yeah. as a hammer, so there you go. Between your bag of nails and my hammer, we might be able to come up with something. There so you go. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay, great. Anybody else? Kind of something super specific. Like you saw it and you're like, "Oh, that sounds cool," or like literally, you're like, "Wait a second, this is the contextualized ministry one." I thought this was such. A, this is your time to leave. Do you remember they used to say that on planes? This plane is departing and going to Colorado. If this is not you, please exit the plane now. Do you remember that? I remember that. Okay, you don't. Fair enough. Um, so when I was a kid, I was determined that I was going to be a rock star. Like, I don't know if anybody else ever had that. Like, and you might have had the dream, but like, I had a goal. It was very different. Like, you thought about it, but it was going to happen. I rehearsed in my bedroom a lot. Uh, every sound system I ever got was a huge stage, and I was going to be a rock star. So I. I anytime I could play an instrument I learned to play an instrument I was and I and I when I was in high school I just I loved music I wanted to be music I got I got the chance to play with a a local rock band that would travel and do Christian rock shows I should specify I was going to be in a Christian rock band uh, not a rock band because they were all going to hell I grew up in a pretty conservative home so I had had boundaries on that so I I was gonna be a Christian rock star and so I got the opportunity to travel with this Christian metal band. And I didn't actually get to play the metal songs, but I got to play at the worship set. So they would, we'd go do youth groups and play piano for them. And when I was like 17, 18 years old, I started to lead the worship at uh, our church. I got a minor in music in my undergraduate work. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys are getting more and more impressed. When I first started at a church i always ended up in music so i kind of played piano i led worship a little bit sang primarily with the youth group because what i learned was i just wasn't very good like i wasn't good so like at 23 24 like it hit me like this career isn't taking i'm not good at this and you you know it just hit me i was i had the drive i had some skill i had the minor in music but i just realized i was missing talent and that's pretty important like yeah i wasn't i it, it hit me that i was never going to stand in front of 30,000 people and sing like it wasn't going to happen for good reason too like very good reason and i thought along the way like there were there were moments in my life along the way as i thought about it that people tried to help me with that realization so when I was younger when I was like 16 17 there was a pastor at our church who was a great musician and, and he tried to help me out like he was subtle he was like Ryan you sing flat so he was really subtle about things <laughs> and uh and that just hurt my feelings I said he doesn't know what he's talking about right I had a friend who was in that band who um I was at a part of a denomination that used to do these national competitions for preaching right so at 16, 17, 18 years old, I did these like short sermon competitions. How many of you wish your pastors would compete in that same competition, you know, the short sermon competition? And I did really well at that, like won the Indiana State Championship in short sermons. I mean, that's a thing. You might not know, but that is a thing. Went to the Nationals and, and I went and did my short sermon Nationals and this friend of mine, we walked out on that. I won't forget this. He's so excited. He was like, you need to forget about this music thing and just preach. I mean, he said that to me, but I was, I'm, I'm going to be a rock star, right? <laughs> but the reality is, it's just, it was not, wasn't my strength. I was, I was decent enough to kind of fill in, you know, like I had that going to be this big thing, but I always thought it would be. 
And I think what I did was I would look at like the success of others in the music room. And I was touched by music. I love music. I want to do that. But the reality is, as I just looked at their success, I didn't really consider their strengths. I just thought, oh, well, are my strengths in alignment with their strengths? And here's, the, here's what I think. I think we do this in church world all the time. I think we look at the successes of churches around us. Maybe not even in like comparison mode, but maybe it's kind of like a mode to just learn. And we say, oh, look at that. Look at the success of the life song and, and look at the success of this church and look at this. Success. But we never actually know or consider the strengths of that church that probably had a lot to do with the success. And so we go and we visit and we go to the conferences and, 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 and I don't know if you resonated with Dino when he was talking about like feeling like that. I mean, I've. I, I remember coming home from a conference one time with my senior pastor. I was like, well, this is where my post-conference depression sets in. Like when I realize that I am not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not good looking enough, that I don't have, that it's never going to happen. You know, and you just go through this like mild depression after you go to like the drive conference at North Point, And you just, and you're like, what am I doing? This, how could God ever use me? And the reality is, so we think, oh, we get these practice, we look in this program and this way of doing it, and we say, oh, that's why they're successful, right? And it's probably true, right? Lifesong is probably successful because they've got an incredible band. Lifesong is probably successful in reaching people because they've got incredible things. But what we don't think about is, well, what were the strengths behind those things? So maybe we go back and we don't have the intention of just plug and play, but we kind of do that. And what happens? Right, when we strategize unknowingly around the strengths of other places, where do we end up in church leadership? We end up in this place where we are frustrated, where we are fatigued, and we just feel like we're always swimming upstream. Well, like they had Celebrate Recovery, I have Celebrate Recovery, how come we're not growing? They sang this song, I said, they have, a, they have moving lights, I've got a moving light. They've got a, a, a hazer, how come I've got a hazer and nobody's coming? Right? And, and, and we get so frustrated and we get so fatigued because we are in this concept of strategizing around the strengths of others. And we think, oh, if I just do this or if I just do that. And, and we think that we mistake that programs aren't universal. Principles are universal. And we live in a world of church growth now that would oftentimes looks like this, right? If you're a leader, you're a pastor, you're a, in pastoral leadership at your church, a lot of times we're taught this in the world of leadership and visioning, right? We're taught you get a great idea, right? This is how it works. You see something and you think, this is great. Our kids' church needs this. We're going to be lifesong kids. Makes no, Let's take it to the extreme. Again. We're going to be life, we're gonna become lifesong kids. That makes sense. Your church is First Baptist Church. We'll be lifesong kids. So you get this idea. Now what do you have to do? Well, you got to go and cast the vision about how cool it will be if you can become lifesong kids, or how cool, this is the latest, so you cast the vision, you're a charismatic person, you say, this is what we're going to do, it's going to be amazing, look at how impacting it's going to be, we're going to touch all these families. So you cast that vision, and then you start recruiting people to come alongside of you to fulfill this vision. Now, mind you, you've never worked with kids before. You're recruiting people who have a big heart, they don't have any, they don't care about kids, they just, yes, let's reach people for Jesus. So you start recruiting all these people, but now you, they, you start struggling with commitment. They're not showing up to the meetings. They're not showing up to do what they committed to. They love you to pieces, but they're not really into it. And you just get exhausted trying to do what? To align people with your idea that you learned from some other place that has no resonation in the heart of the person that's in your church. And, and you know what this looks like? This is interesting. This looks more like bringing a product to market than bringing a ministry into the life of a church. Now, if you know me and you don't, which is probably better for you, but I love to read and I like to read business books and leadership books. But I came to a point about a year ago where I honestly said, if I read another leadership book, I'm going to throw up. Like you can only read so much on leadership and then it's like, oh my gosh, enough. You can only tell me so many ways how to cast. You can only tell me so many ways how to run an effective meeting. You can only tell me so many. And, and I think the problem is like, there's so many great principles from the business world and the leadership world that we need in church world. I believe that. But sometimes we cross a line 
and we misunderstand and we pull in a principle that looks great when you're bringing a new product to market and you're sitting in front of venture capitalists and you got to get them to give to you and invest in you and you, you want them to be a silent partner. I think we bring those principles oftentimes to the development of our church and then we wonder why. Why can't they just be silent partners? <laughs> why can't they just do it? Because there's so much more to it. But I want to say there's a better way. I think there's a better way. It's, it's, I think, sometimes a little slower, but I think it lasts longer. And I think it's more reflective of God. I don't think we get quite as fatigued. And I think there's a way to actually do church where you don't feel understaffed, underfunded, underproductive, underperforming, and you just want to quit. And I, I think if we can take kind of a biblical approach and kind of think about ministry a little differently— then all of a sudden we'll see things start to soar. We won't be swimming upstream every time we do something. Okay, so let me pause right there. I have a list of like a million questions because I wasn't sure if we were going to be at round tables and I was going to turn you loose to do questioning. But what are you what are you hearing? What are you thinking? What does that does that make any sense to you? Have you had any experiences with that? Have you never been frustrated in ministry? Are you really thinking now you have made a bad choice and you should have gone to the leadership tent, which is right next to it? It was so funny. I'm walking down and they go, man. I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying to you. This is the relate people. <laughs> they said, lead or ministry? That was the lead tent. This is the, <laughs> this is the ministry tent. This just made me laugh. Okay, so well, what are you hearing? Any questions, any thoughts? We got a microphone here. Does that resonate with you? Do you just want me to keep going? Do you want me to close in prayer? What do you want to do? <laughs> we can have an altar call. We can receive an offering. I, I, it's all in my repertoire, right? So totally up to you. Okay, good. We just a little put the yeah. All right, here we go. Okay, so I just want to I want to talk about a couple of pas. I'm not going to read the passage of scripture. I'm going to assume we're all Christians in here, and you'll trust me when I tell you what the Bible verse is about. You probably have read it, uh, but we only have so much time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 21, is the passage where Paul talks about the body, right? And he uses this great analogy that there's, the body is made by God. There's, there's hands and there's feet and there's eyes. And he says, the eyes doesn't say, the eyes, the eyes doesn't say, sorry. <laughs> I do have a graduate degree. The eye doesn't say to the foot, oh, I'm not a foot, so I don't want to be a part of the body. And the foot doesn't say to the hand, well, I'm not a hand, I don't want to be a part of the body, right? Paul's describing this really funny thing. Like, what if your body had an identity crisis? Like, what if your eye just was sort of like, this is being an eye is stupid. <laughs> or the foot said, I, I, I am not a foot. I am a hand. Right? Or, or an arm said, no, 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 no. I'm not an arm. Uh, I'm an eye, and it's pretty clear. <laughs> right? Paul's kind of describing this. He says, that's foolishness. But then he does say this. So I lied. I said I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to read this. If I can find 1 Corinthians, I know it's right before 2 Corinthians, uh, which is not all that helpful. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 12, he, he, he kind of goes through this whole thing, right? And then there's this really cool way that the New Living Translation puts it. I read the New Living Translation because that's the one I understand, okay? So this is what he says. In verse 18, he says, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. We should just close in prayer. <laughs> I can't get any better than that. Look, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever read that or not. He says, wait, the wind took my page. I was like, he didn't say that. He, he said this. <laughs> but our bodies have many parts. Duh. But God has put each part just where he wants it, just where he wants it. And Paul is talking about the human body, but he's drawing this amazing analogy to the body of Christ. Now, not just your local church, the whole kingdom of God. So I, I'd say this applies at lots of different levels, that, that each member of the body of Christ has a unique gift inside of the local church. Each local church is a unique part of the broader body of Christ throughout New England and throughout America and throughout the world. But here's what's amazing. It says God has intentionally placed them there. So God put my fingers on my hand. If I came out of the womb, not to give you a wonderful picture of my mother, but if that happened, which it did, I mean, 
but my fingers were like on my shoulder, the doctors would go, well, that's fine. That's where God put them. That's, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. No, they would fix that. Because that's not the intended place, right? So it says God has put everything on you just the way it's supposed to be. So I take that and go, okay, so that means God has put your church in your community. And he knew exactly what, he, that's it. And on top of that, God put all the people in your church for your community just the way he wants it. So what, what in the world are we doing? Go, well, maybe our church should look like the church a state away or three states away or four towns away. That's not, what? I have this belief that God loves your community more than you do. And I have this belief that God knows the people in your community more than you do. And I have this belief that in God's love for the community and his knowledge of the community, he is able to provide the people with the gifts that are needed to reach your community right in front of you. Instead of saying, well, we ought to have the best kids ministry. If God hasn't brought you anybody that loves kids, man, I'm going to tell you what right now. I don't think God's calling you to have a great children's ministry. Oh, we want to have the best music. But you got a bunch of people with my skill level? No, no. God wants you to reach other people. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it, right? But maybe God wants to say all these things that we think and these paradigms that we think have to happen in church. God's like, what are you talking about? Show me the Bible verse where I said this has to happen in your church. Maybe we just think about it backwards. And, and, and what he goes on to, and this is cool because, you know, there's a context for this verse. It goes on in verse, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the only verse you ever hear at a wedding, right? right? It's all love and love and love and love, love. But what Paul is saying is, listen, we're all unique. God has designed us uniquely. He's given us unique gifts. But what unites us and what is the most amazing thing is that we all have the gift of love. And that is the most important thing that we could ever do. And so here's what I put. I put the commands to love God and love others, right? That, 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 let's not complicate things, right? We could add make disciples to it. It could be every church's mission statement. Love God, love others, make disciples, right? That command, that unites each unique gift in the body of Christ. Like that's the fundamental. Like, so God, I think, is saying, I have placed you in your community. I have called the people to myself who are in your church, and I've given them unique gifts that they might love one another and love your community. So go love them the way they know how. Oh man, wouldn't that be amazing if you didn't have to create a church with ingredients you didn't have? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if, 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 if you were told, hey, why don't you make dinner? but just use what you got. Be creative, but use what you got. Like, don't, don't, don't try and create a meal that you've got to go travel 45 minutes to the store that has that special kind of rice. Just use what you got and create an amazing meal with it. And I think that's what God's saying to us is that your church is a unique expression of the body of Christ. It was formed by God with the resources necessary to love him, to love your neighbors, and to make disciples. And see, that for me is the foundation of it all. Like my assumption is that what God wants me to do in ministry is sitting right in front of me. Like if we were going to plant a church, I couldn't tell you what it would look like. But it'd be awesome because it'd be about you. Right? How many of you have ever like gone on a a missions trip, like a short-term missions trip? This was before we read When Helping Hurts, so I know nobody's gone on a (laughs) short-term missions trip since you've read When Helping Hurts. can tell what I think of that book. So that was a free one. Absolutely free. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And you sign up for a mission trip, right? And you go on that mission trip and you're like doing stuff. And has it ever hit you in the middle of that mission trip? Well, I'm sitting with a concert pianist and I've got like this person over here who can paint incredible pictures and I am a ventriloquist and this person, but what are we doing? We're laying cement. Like, what are we doing? Think about it, like, what are we doing? As opposed to, hey, we're going to go serve and with our partner in such and such country. If you want to go, sign up. Here's the cost. You sign up, and then you gather everybody. You go, okay, let's do an inventory. What are your gifts? What are your passions? What are your burdens? And all of a sudden, we start to see what God brings into the room. And we start talking with our partner. And say, okay, what do you got that could use 
a concert pianist, an artist, a ventriloquist? What are you currently doing? What's part of your regular rhythm? We don't want to come and do one time off. We've all read When Helping Hurts, and we don't want to be that people. So how do we do this? And then all of a sudden, you have this trip where nobody's complaining about anything. It's life-changing. They scripted it. Let me ask you something. Do you think they're going to show up to the ministry meetings for that mission trip? Yeah. Do you think you're going to have to nag them about fundraising? No. Because they have buy-in. Because it's about them. It's about what God has called them to do. And that's, I think that's an assumption we, we've lost in our church growth. And I'm a huge fan of the church growth movement. Huge fan of it. But I think that's something that's been lost is that, wait a second, everything we need is right here. Maybe I've just, maybe I think I'm supposed to be making an upside down pineapple cake and God just really wants me to make some rice and beans. Right? What is that? What, what, maybe I've got a misunderstanding here. It's all a great meal. Maybe I'm just trying to make the wrong meal. And I'm assuming because this meal people loved over here, that's what I'm supposed to make. Right? So that's all kind of theory. But so how do we kind of get there? All right, so let me just, what time is it? Okay, good. I have you captive for another 20 minutes. So here's some considerations for contextualizing your ministry. So the assumption is, now, if you don't believe what I just said, then Instagram, look for Dancer for Him, see if she's posted anything, uh, let me know, all right? But if that resonates, some of you came in late and you're like, What? <laughs> Should have been on time. You just think I'm a creep now. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. As we think about contextualizing ministry, here's some things I want you to consider, right? Understand the principles behind the methods God is using to grow his kingdom. Because I do think that there are principles that, that principles are amazing. Principles, they don't matter what country you're in. They don't matter how much money you have. They don't matter what skin color you are. They don't matter any principles are cross-cultural, they go across everything. Like, I can tell you this right now, I get to travel all over New England, okay? I have never, ever, 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 ever seen a church that is growing and reaching people who don't know Jesus that doesn't have in their DNA excellence. Never have I seen one. I have never, ever, ever seen one. I've never seen a church that's growing like above the curve, right? That's, that's really marching the ball down the field that isn't intentional. I've seen lots of churches that are charismatic, Pentecostal that are going. I've seen churches that are liturgical. I've seen churches that are Hispanic. I've seen churches that are white as lily of the fields. I've seen it all. I've seen churches that are, you know, that are conservative in their theology. I've seen churches that are progressive in their theology. I've seen all of that stuff. And they vary. But there are certain principles that are lived out. And so when you look, I want to encourage you to come to conferences like this. Go visit churches. Go see what's going on. But always look for the principle behind it. Always look for the principle. Because there are unique things, right, that, that, that I think churches are discovering. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, you ever heard that phrase? Like, every now and then, a, what is it, a blind squirrel finds a nut? Is that what it is? I think that can happen. Like, a church can just plop in, this, um, in a nearly identical community to a church and model itself and just start importing. And that's going to work. But bleh, Sanford, Maine, God bless it. It's not Boston. It certainly isn't North Reading where I was at before. North Reading was a bedroom community of Boston. You couldn't even look at a piece of a, a, a less like a, a, a buildable lot in North Reading, Massachusetts. When I was there 10 years ago, it was $500,000. Just the land. So if the so if somebody was selling their house for $500,000, they were basically saying, please bulldoze this house and build whatever you'd like on it. Now, you go to Sanford, Maine, I'm, you, can, you can go buy a three-bedroom house in certain parts of our town for $40,000. I mean, it, you want, there, was not, there were so few families in North Reading on any kind of assistance. I don't, I don't even know that they knew how to spell the word poor. You know, I mean, there was one area, one neighborhood maybe. Sanford is a, is, a, is a working poor community, working poverty. We have social service offices that have become an attraction and a place of hope for people who are hurting in southern Maine. So we have a high, very different. So, you know, you think the two churches are going to look the same? I'm in an impoverished culture that values entertainment and connectivity. I was in a, you know, upper white middle class neighborhood that valued work ethic. And, you know, so how do I treat the guest? Do I give the same first-time gift gifts in those environments because some book says, oh, give a gas card? I mean, that's crazy. 
right? And so we have to figure out. The principle is, oh, make a guest feel welcome. The principle is surprise them. I love those principles. But you got to figure out how to do that, right? So look for the methods. Now, then I want to say this. Uh, listen to the gifts God has given you. I am a product of a movement in church world, in church growth and leadership, that has lost the art of listening to the person in the pew to elevate them to God's call on their life. I'm a part of a generation, I think I'm on the beginning phases of it, where we have forgotten the power of congregationalism. That the priesthood of all believers that there is a call that God has placed on every believer's life, that there's a unique gift that God has given that believer, and that unique gift is not to simply do what I said because I can say it best. We have forgotten to listen to the burdens and the passions inside of people's hearts. So listen. Listen to your gifts. I, I honestly believe this. If you're leading an area or you're leading a church, that. There needs to be alignment with where that church body or where that ministry team wants to go and who you are, or you'll be miserable. So who, who is, how has God gifted you? What are you supposed to do? Right? That, there should be alignment there. Like, oh, please don't ever go work at a church because they've got an opening in children's ministry, but you're called to work serving the poor. Unless, of course, those kids are poor. Then do that, right? But, I mean, just, oh, i got to get in a church. Like, don't ever forsake the burden that you have because you'll be miserable. So whatever that... Whatever God has called you to do, and oh, by all means, please, don't continue in a ministry out of guilt because what happens if you leave? I mean, just, you're not that important, okay? You're not. I'm not. I had this friend with, a, I met with three pastors yesterday. We meet once a month, and he's telling me how he's leaving this weekend to go to a men's ministry. He hasn't had a day off in 15 weeks. He, his wife, and this and that. And I just looked at him, I said, it was a men's uh, retreat. I said, well, what are you doing at the men's retreat? He says, oh, just building relationships. I said, so what's the worst thing that happens if you don't go? Well, I miss out on relationships. I said, what is wrong with you? Don't you think your wife would value you being home for those two days? You won't have anything planned on Friday and Saturday. Imagine if you just said no and didn't go. What would happen? Right? But he's so racked with guilt. I, I nearly swore at him, and that, I think, was the turning point. <laughs> And I texted him today. I said, how's your weekend looking? And he was like, I reached out. I told him I couldn't go, you know, because it's like, again, we don't listen to ourselves. And like, why are you going to do that? Because somebody else says you should do it and you feel guilty. So you're going to go. Listen, I told him, I said, you're just not that important. That men's retreat, you're not speaking at it. I, I wouldn't have even told if you're running, if you're running registration, you need to go fulfill your commitment. He wasn't doing anything. Then I found out, oh, I told a guy, he said, I, I, I told a guy I would talk with him there who was mad about something I said about racial healing. I was like, what? So you're going to forsake being with your family so you can go help somebody who's going to leave your church anyway? <laughs> what are you doing? So I just want to encourage you, like, in your own life, like, don't, don't stay in a ministry that's not life-giving to you because there's a need. Because what God has put in your heart is what God wants you to reach your community. That's what he wants to do. And, and you, you give people permission to leave your ministries. When you find out that their heart is someplace else, the best thing you can do is release them to that. The best thing you do, because you need to create the need for somebody who's got a burden of passion to step in. It'll be far easier to not manage somebody who doesn't have a burden than it is to manage some. You know what I'm saying? So listen to yourself, right? Listen to the people around you, right? Evaluate the setting God has created around you. Right, so you have, you've been given these unique gifts, but now let's talk about your, your community that you live in. Do you know it? What are the unacceptable statistics of your community? Like those are great ways to burden, like what is that? Emmanuel Gospel Center in Boston, that's a great question. I wish I could take credit for it, but I'll give them a little credit. What are the unacceptable statistics in your community? How many kids are on lunch programs assisted? How many single moms are in your community, your neighborhood, like in a reasonable reality? And, and let's, you know, Whatever the size of your church is, just think about it. Like, what are some of those unacceptable statistics? Get to know your community. You might not be able to deal with all those, but I promise you what will happen. You'll learn about some of those, and you'll just start talking about them. And then somebody's going to go, oh, my gosh, I've got such a burden for feeding kids. I had no idea that 85% of our kids were food insecure, and, and they aren't sure if they're going to get a meal in the summertime. we got to do something about it. And I go, who's we? You're it. Let's do it. What do you need? Let's figure it out. And all of a sudden, you're going to have this great thing going, and, you're, and then you're going to sit back and be like, how, how did that happen? Right? So 
what are the bright spots in your community? What are the great things that people love about your community? Right? What are the wonderful things that give your neighborhood or your town its flavor, its feel? And this is all different. If you're urban, it's going to be a, it's going to look different. If you're suburban, if you're rural, right? Is there anything good, right? Or do you live in Nazareth? Like, what good could possibly come from this place? That's the way I felt about Sanford for a long time. Still do a little bit, but. Now I want to encourage you to accept the current capacity that God has established for you. You have a capacity. Please just accept it. You got a plate and you can only put so much on it. You know, if you're if you're a person that is driven, you're going to always tend to kind of pile it on, right? But you have a capacity. Work that capacity well. I love what he said like if your capacity right now is small, there's two, three, four of you, you're church planting. There's two, three, four of you, you're revitalizing. Recognize your capacity and you do that well and let it grow. I mean, I didn't know he was going to, but it's right here. Look at that. That's amazing. We all have limited capacity. We all have limited financial resources. We all have limited human resources. So let's use them well for the small things and allow it to become the big things. So don't get caught up in that. So here's, and I was saying, so lead a, and, and this is written in the context of a senior pastor, right? So some of you might be senior pastors and some of you might be leading ministries. But here's what I would say to you. Lead a church body and a church building that both reflects and leverages the unique gifts that God has given you to love the unique community God has sent you to. Right? Create a church body and a church building. So it's not just the people, but it's also the, the building. It's, I believe this deeply, that the space that you meet, it ought to look just like the town that you're in. Right? It should fit. Like if, if your church were to get picked up and moved 100 miles away, it should feel so weird. Like people wouldn't make any sense. What's that a picture of? Who's that? Like why are you doing that? Like our building for a long time, it was like, well, you could take this and pick it up and put it in any New England town. I said, that's garbage. Like we got to have it so that if, you walked into our building, it would look wrong. It would just wrong if you put it in Portsmouth. It would be wrong if you put it in Boston. It wouldn't make any sense. Because it helps people feel like I'm a part of it. Like the context says a lot. Like I have a dream that our church would look like L.L. Bean. Not that I like L.L. Bean, but it's Maine. It's what Maine people think of. Like our church should look like a ski lodge. If you ever been up to Freeport, L.L. Bean, there's moose everywhere. It's all wood trim. It's like that's what Maine people do. It's not me, right? I mean, it's not me. But I have, I've been talking about, like, as we renovate, as we redo this, we need to think about this. Like, what is it that's going to scream to people, this is home. This is who I am. Instead of like, oh, they're using carpet squares. Let's use carpet squares. Or they're using polished cement. Let's use polished cement. You know where there's polished cement in Maine? Walmart. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. I want guests to feel like they're going to Walmart when they come to church. <laughs> Right? Nothing wrong with polished cement. I'm just not in an urban community like that. So I just think our buildings ought to reflect that. So here's the deal. So establish and cast vision into the congregation for how ministry is done. Let me say that again. Establish and cast the vision into the congregation for how ministry is done. And discover and empower the vision out of the congregation for what ministry is done. So I think that leadership ought to cast a vision for the way in which we do things. This is what it means to do it the Curtis Lake way. We do it with excellence. We do it with generosity. We do it with humor. We wear clothes. Right? You give like a framework, right? But then what you're doing is, so you're casting that into your congregation. This is how we do it. But the actual ministry that's being done, if you don't want to swim upstream, you've got to kind of discover pull it out of the congregation, and then empower them into it. And you've got to be content, right? You've got to say, okay, th this is good. Like, hmm, I'm going to bring this philosophy that if God hasn't given it to me, then maybe I don't need it. Maybe I don't need to do it. That, you know, unchurched, pe unchurched people, like, you know, unchurched people don't know you're supposed to have a youth group. In New England, unchurched people don't know you're supposed to have children's church. Right. Unchurched, unchurched people don't church shop. You know who church shops? Disgruntled Christians. 
And I was like, well, okay, great, shop. But just because you think we're supposed to have a great children's ministry or children doesn't mean I'm supposed to. So if God hasn't given me somebody to lead this or given me somebody with a vision to fund it, right? There's different ways. What, what, who says I can't create an experience where kids feel loved and welcomed and are safe and parents can have a distraction-free worship environment? Who says I can't do that in, 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 a, in a worship service? So I just kind of, we just kind of threw away all this stuff and I just well, throw away all that stuff that says you have to do it, right? Philippians 4.19, right? I, I'm, I'm going to read this because I don't have it memorized. I know the gist of it. How many of you know like lots of the gist of memory verse? Oh, the Bible said, like, Paul wrote. This is what preachers do when they don't know exactly which letter he wrote it in. Like, Paul wrote. And then it's like Hebrews and people are like, Paul didn't write Hebrews. Okay, that just messed with some of you. He may have, I don't know. But. <laughs> Not only was it a waste of time, doesn't even know who wrote Hebrews. Okay, this is what he says. Listen to this, 19. 419. And the same God who takes care of me, this is Paul, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, we love to read that verse for like, you need a BMW, God will supply that need. You need a car to get to work, God will supply that need. In the context, Paul's talking about gifts that are empowering him to do ministry. Like I can, I can survive in this. I've learned the secret that I can do all things. It's Christ who, who, who supports me and sustains me. And, you, and, and yeah, Christ used you to supply me. He actually says a few verses earlier, I have no need of anything right now. I'm good because of you. And so I just think, why doesn't that principle apply to the way in which we do church as a gathered people? That God's going to supply all the needs that we have to meet our, our community, right? So, and I think that God supplies it in different ways. I mentioned that there so some ways that God supplies it. He's going to provide people who have the burden and the gift. You're going to love them. Oh, you're going to hug them. I'm not a hugger, but I hug those people. Sometimes I even kiss them. They've got the burden and the gift. So they've got a burden for kids and a gift for kids. And, you never, and you're, you're going to have the most amazing kids church. I don't care what size your church is. It's going to be awesome. Those seven kids that show up, those three kids that are there, those 40 kids that are there, they're going to have so much fun. And you're going to have plenty of volunteers because that person's got a burden and a gift. And they're the best. And all you got to do is give them a good framework. Let no fire. Don't put anything on fire. Right? And, and we, wanna, we want you to use the Bible. Other than that, it's great. Or you just need to, you need to okay it through our elders. Whatever your governance is, whatever curriculum you're using, we just need to approve it and then just unleash it. You don't even have to give those people money. Because they love it so much, they fund it themselves. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome if every area of the church was like that? You would be sitting back like, I think I'm going to go on vacation. I, this is amazing how it happens when people are actually equipped to do the things that God has called them to do. So God does that. Sometimes you as the leader will discover the burden in somebody's life, and then you'll unleash the gift. So they'll be talking to you, and you'll feel the burden. And so you will provide like a resource or an avenue and all of a sudden they'll, the gift, they'll, you'll provide them with the encouragement. They'll go, you mean I can do that? And the gift emerges out of it. Sometimes somebody's got the gift, but they don't have the burden. So you identify the gift and you actually end up unleashing the gift by re revealing the burden. So somebody's got the gift of giving, but they just don't have the burden yet. Somebody's got the gift of working with kids, but they just don't understand the plight of the children in your community. Somebody's got a heart for singles, but they don't understand where the singles are, and they, haven't, they, they just don't know how to. So you kind of come along and shepherd them and help them understand what's going on in their heart. And that's how God provides those things. And here's a great principle. You will want to write this down because it's good. Okay, I don't, I've had about two good ideas in my life. Okay, and this is one of them. So don't waste my time. Write this down, okay? Sometimes the best idea isn't the better idea. I learned this. Sometimes the best idea isn't the better. Now, here's the deal. All of my ideas are the best ideas. I don't know if you know that or not. But when you come and participate in our church or visually, you need to learn very quickly that I believe all of my ideas are the best. And, if, and you probably believe that about yourself too. Otherwise, you wouldn't say it out loud. Until somebody reveals another idea, you, you think yours is the best. That's why you say it out loud, right? I get it. That's why I do. Most of the time people give ideas. I still think mine's the best. But here's what I learned. Sometimes 
What makes an idea better is a person with a burden and a gift. So here's how I learned this. So we have a thing at our church called Global Outreach Week. It used to be called Missions Convention, right? But we take a week where we cast a vision for organizations and ministries that we support locally and around the world and blah, 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 blah. And we have this kind of multi-purpose room, which means it's a room that nobody likes because everybody uses it. And in this room, it gets converted. Like they go in and there is this lady who turns this room into this other country. It's unbelievable. You wouldn't believe what they do. Seriously, if I had a projector, I'd show it to you. Paying attention. <laughs> right? So, he's, ch- he's checking dancer for him. He's like, what? <laughs> right? So here's the deal. It's unbelievable what they do. Uh, hours and hours and hours. Hundreds of man hours. And they convert this room between 9 o'clock on Monday night and 5 o'clock on Tuesday. So one year, we've got the theme. The teaching team, me. I got the theme for missions week. This is what it is. And all of a sudden, somebody comes to our staff and says, oh, Jen, the woman who handles this part of the week, she says, she likes this theme, blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, that's not the theme. That is definitely, I I got this. I mean, I've got the communication count right here. This is my job to determine what we're preaching on. And that is not the theme. And like the Lord just said, it's like the Lord said in my heart, oh, well, did you want to do the gym? And I was like, you know, that's a great theme, Lord. I think we'll do that. That is an awesome theme. And so I learned. I don't, I don't come up with the Missions Week theme anymore. I let her do it. I say, what do you want to do? And she sends me an email every year. And she says, this is my thought. And I send back to her, okay, I like it. Let's, what if we did it this way a little bit? And then she owns it. And you, I don't think a moment about that. And you know what? I get to walk in that room. It's like, you kids, is amazing. I'm like, I don't have anything to do with it. Got to go talk to them. You wouldn't believe it. So I have this, we have this vision for missions, but how do we get away with doing that room and all the, it's because somebody's got a burden and somebody's got the gifts and it, it flows out of them. Like it doesn't flow out of me. What flows out of me is our church has to be invested in taking the gospel around the world or we're going to shrivel up and die. We've got to do this. And she's got a heart for it and a burden and bam, and there it goes. And here's another thing you should know. Successful ministries, I bet you if you really Google your heart and think about the ministries that you've been a part of, go- successful ministries always start with a leader who has a burden. Successful ministries do not always start by a pastor who has a really great idea. I don't care how articulate they are. I don't care who they are. There are lots of ministries that crash and burn because it starts as a great idea and a pastor's got a thought. And so they go and try to find people to implement their thoughts. But you show me a person with a burden and you show me a person who either has the gifts or has somebody with the gifts around them. I will fund that ministry all day long because it will succeed. I will support it. It will flourish because they're part owners in the kingdom. They get it. And so always look for that. So here's the benefits, right? Here's, I want you to buy the timeshare after this, okay? You've sat through your 40-minute presentation. We're going to go take a tour in a second. When we do this stuff, we create a true community church. You know what I think is an absolute shame? How many churches on the planet have the word community in their name? There's nothing community about it. Christ Community Church, Sanford Community Church, Boston Community Church. What does that even mean? right? But when our church actually reflects the local community, the hurts, the pains, the joys of the local community that it's in, and the strengths and the hurts and the joys of the people that make it a church community, then it is a community church. Why did we just throw the word community? Because it was, wasn't it Willow Creek Community Church? So then every church is going to be community church after that. What does that even mean? It means nothing these days, right? So we become real community. We create a culture of empowerment, where people walk into their unique greatness and have ownership of the mission. See, we, we, we don't understand. We're, we're coming into a season in church leadership now, folks that are my age and older, where we're learning maybe some of the tactics that we've done have led to the consumer Christianity around us very unintentionally. But maybe it's the very thing that reached people with the gospel that because we didn't have some other tactics in place led to a consumer mindset 
And so now we're always having to motivate people to come on board with our vision because what are we doing, right? We're selling people something. And so here's what we do. This is good. This is, this is good too. This isn't as good as the other one, but I think this one's pretty good. And I just thought of it this morning on the way here. We move from salesperson to personal shopper. Doesn't that sound like fun to just go send somebody else's money and help them find the clothes that they want, the furniture that they want? That sounds a lot more fun than I got to sell 50 of these couches this month. But see, what you become as a leader is not a salesperson of a big vision. You become a personal shopper. Hey, you've got all the gifts. You've got all the talents. You've got all the burdens. I've got the inventory. I've got some resources. So let's walk through this thing called church and ministry together and let's match you up. And then I can get all excited because, man, you look good. You look good in that outfit. It's not on sale. It's going to cost you a lot. But it's worth it because you look good. They buy the outfit. Because they picked it out. I mean, you have all the tools and resources, but I'm, I don't want to be a salesperson. There's nothing wrong with sales. Sales are great. But it's the personal shopper mentality. I'm going to come alongside somebody, help them find their unique gifts, right? So contextualized churches bring the gospel to unique people who have unique needs, living in unique communities, in a way that energizes pastoral leaders and congregational members. I, I can honestly say, I do this because I'm lazy. You know how hard some pastors have to work getting their vision accomplished? Oh my gosh. It's exhausting thinking about it. I got my friend, good friend of mine, he's going to the men's ministry retreat. Like, why are you going to the men's ministry? Do you need to be there? Because you're sitting here with three men right now. I, I, people say, I, I don't have to spend a lot of time at our church. How come you don't have to spend a lot of time at our church? Because I'm not driving what ministries we do. I'm driving how we do ministry. I'm driving the vision, the values of the bigger picture. And when somebody says, I got a heart for it, I go, okay, great. Well, let's decide. Is that something we do officially as a gathered church? Is this a scattered church call that you need to do and we need to support and let people know about? Like, what are we doing? And here's what I think is so cool is when we live this way, when we do ministry this way, we really incarnate Jesus into our community. Because what did Jesus do? He took on flesh. He contextualized the uncontextualized, the infinite. He contextualized. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And all things were created through Him. And the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us and brought light into our darkness. You can't bring light into the darkness without that. And, and so all of a sudden we get to do what Jesus did because here's the reality. When we take it from Jesus... We are obligated to give it, right? So that's that, all right? That's all I got. I mean, that's literally all I got. I'm empty. So I think we need to dismiss because you have to go. But I'm here if you want to, you don't want to miss Carl. Um, It'll be so disappointing after this. That's why I want you to go. I want you to realize, oh my gosh, they missed it. They should have had Ryan. No, so if you want to chat, my email address is ryan at curtislake.org. If I can never be of any help, ryan at curtislake.org. And uh, we'd be happy to do that. But thanks for coming.